welcome to the Holy Week podcast for Vineyard Church. You can catch new episodes here every day this week, April 10th through the 16th. Now, here's Aaron and Lindsay. Well, hey folks, it is Good Friday and we're continuing our podcast series as we're just taking a few minutes to reflect um, each of the days of Holy Week and um, of the days that are the most widely observed other than Easter itself, Good Friday uh, might be the most familiar one. Um, and if you have been around church environments or you've got a church background, maybe you've been to a Good Friday service. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot of history and some background to this one. So um, I'm here with Lindsay. Lindsay, hello. Hello. Maybe you would uh, take a moment now and, and sort of walk us through what some of those Good Friday traditions have been. Yeah, so Good Friday um, has traditionally been the the somber observance of the death of Christ. That we um, this is this is the day. This is the day uh, to think about Jesus on the cross, and um, and so the way that the church has handled that in history is uh, that Good Friday services have often been um, there's been two kind of key things that take part. Uh, one is a, a custom of praying for the needs of others, which I think is, to me, the perfect way to spend a Good Friday, that we would acknowledge the work on the cross as uh, beneficial to the entire world. Absolutely. It's the hope for everything. Yes. Yeah. And um, maybe you can find a Good Friday service that you can pop in on somewhere around good old Blount County. But that's not necessary for you to fulfill this value um, as we consider what Christ did for the sake of the world and the hope that he brings. Um, it should be easy enough for us to gather with friends, maybe our core group or small group, something like that, or just on our own and, and follow that example to spend some time looking outside of ourselves and asking God to intervene on that behalf of people who are hurting. And I don't think we'll have to stretch our mind too far to come up with a pretty significant list of people who desperately need God's intervention in their lives. Right. And um, if you do find yourself needing some some direction there or just an outline, um, this may be a silly way to say it, but you legitimately could Google Good Friday Liturgy or Good Friday go. Collect. And so uh, churches throughout history have put these forms together. For, they're just structures uh, to teach us how to pray for the needs of others. And they'll take you through the city and they'll take you through government and uh the poor, I mean, just everyone. And it's a really beautiful thing. And so for me, Good Friday uh, services have been a highlight of, um, maybe the highlight of Holy Week in uh, the, I don't know, it's just like tangibly acknowledging the goodness and the hope of the cross, even in a somber day. Mm -hmm. That uh, it's, again, a lot like we talked about yesterday, but that we would both mourn and receive at the same time. But in this, in this moment, that in our mourning, we would be believing hope for the sake of the world. So let me ask you, Lindsay, a lot of times, um, maybe, maybe the most common <laughs> feedback I hear just around the, the broad idea of Good Friday is if we're celebrating, or pardon me, if we are memorializing the death of Christ, why do we call it Good Friday and not Bad Friday? What, what would you say if somebody asked you that question? Yes, I think that's, that's a very fair question. Um, because... We believe that the cross of Jesus changed everything for the entire world and for Amen. all of time. And so it is 
good. And so I don't think it's that we're declaring that um, what had to happen to Jesus was good. What we're saying is that Jesus volunteered for this, for the goodness of the whole world. And that's a big deal. Yeah, you can gather and mourn something and at the same time acknowledge that it is good because it was the work of Christ to redeem us all. Yes. I think that um, high church traditions have held that really beautifully. Like um, we uh, at Springbrook did a, a Good Friday service a few years ago with an Anglican church. And um, we've done that a few a few years. And I showed up. It's like the one day of my life I've ever not worn black, which is my favorite color to wear. And I show up and, and um, the other church leaders and priests, they they wore black. And, and so I was like, oh, gosh, is there a dress code? And they said, yes, we wear black because we are mourning the death of Christ. And then we recited all of these prayers, acknowledging the hope of Christ for the world. Yeah. And it was just this beautiful tension between the two things of, of what you saw and what you felt. And mm-hmm. it, I felt like it allowed me to, even in my denim shirt, uh, mm-hmm. it allowed me to be in those places at one time. Yeah, so. and you make no effort to resolve that tension. You right. crank the tension up, and that's, that's how you celebrate, how you remember, how do you mourn it. Absolutely. Um, Another uh, uh, tradition on in a Good Friday service and on a Good Friday uh, that I think is just like incredibly important, honestly, and um, formative and formational for me and um, anyone who's probably been to one is that uh, the the priest would like walk to the center of the room and hold up the Bible and uh, read the story of the passion of Christ, the story of Jesus going to the cross slowly and deliberately, uh, allowing room for the darkness of the day and the grief of death uh, to sit in the room. Um, And they would read it slowly and deliberately and then end it with silence. So most Good Friday services end in complete silence and you walk out. Um, with no words, and and there's something uh, we talked at the very beginning of this podcast about connecting our bodies to what we're feeling, and so uh, we wanted to set up a chance for you to get to do that, and so we're gonna have somebody come on. Uh, Aaron's gonna bless us, and then we're gonna have somebody come on and read the the scripture, our scripture for today, John eighteen one through chapter nineteen thirty seven. So it's a long chunk, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll read it slowly and deliberately, and we'll allow room it to hang yeah hold the tension of mourning and celebrating yeah all that is bad and all that is good we will do that uh, but first let's pray almighty god we pray you graciously to behold this your family for whom our lord jesus christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross who now lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit one god forever and ever Amen. Amen. John chapter 18 through chapter 19 and verse 37. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew the place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. 
Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, said Jesus. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. 
Are you the king of the Jews? he asked him. Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king? Jesus responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. You don't realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover, and Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him! Crucify him! What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called Place of the Skull, or in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. 
The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to he said I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, No, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided up his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, Rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath because it was the Passover week. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may also continue to believe. These things happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, Not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the one they pierced. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow for a new episode on our website at vineyardchurch.us or wherever you're listening to this podcast.